Hey, welcome to another Model Railroad Hobbyist podcast. Uh, got your usual crew here. I'm Paul Gillette. Got Christopher, Paulo Mares, and of course, New England's own James Lincoln. All right, so Jim's going to join us whenever he gets home. You know, this remotering thing has just, <laughs> just, oh, an- just started to consume me. <laughs> oh. I I did a blog. I haven't published it yet because I was waiting to uh, do the install on of the Tsunami 2 so I could publish some of the possible values. But so these are like mid to late 90 Proto 2000, mm-hmm. Union Pacific, and AB set. Uh, gentleman comes into an affair with trains. His uh, girlfriend is saying, you're spending too much time with your trains. I want you to spend more time with me or else. So he comes into the store. He's got a bunch of these locomotives, different types, and Bob buys them and puts them out on the floor. And I see this UPAB set of E8s. And I mean, they're still in the shrink wrap from uh, Walther's. This is like mid-2014, so they've been sitting in my closet since then. So I got them out. First, I looked on different places. Could I find a set of the new protos and just change out the QSI for the Tsunami 2? And the only pair I found went way over 200 bucks, and I went. Oh, crap. No, because then I've still got another 200 bucks on top of that, plus the cost of speakers. So I went, no, I'm going to redo the ones I've got. So I get them out, take them apart, and I take the body off. And I know I'm going to find cracked gears. It's just characteristic of that vintage. Yep. And as I mentioned last time, not all of the Athern replacement gear sets work. And because it's just a different number of gears. So I bought some of the Walther's gear sets that say for replacing crack gears and Proto 2000 E8s and E9s. I buy them, put them in. Everything works. And order two of the Kato replacement motors from the same place where I got the one on the E7. Mm-hmm. And they come in. So I start trial fitting them on the frame. Well, the, while it was a just an easy drop in on that uh, Athern CF7, on the older Protos in the fuel tank where I'm going to mount this, there's all kinds of metal down there. <laughs> that oh, just, yeah. Gets in the way. Mm -hmm. So I go up to the hobby store, or not the hobby store, but the Ace Hardware, get a couple of the cone-shaped metal reaming bits, bring them back, go out in the garage, and start reaming these ridges and intrusions into the space I need. And uh, get it pretty smooth. Took like about 15 minutes on... on, uh, each frame, paint it flat black and uh, do a test fit of the motor in there. Goes in 
pretty close, pretty close. Not as easy as on the Atherd. So I have to do a little shimming down there to get it, get the cradle to set level. Yeah. And of course, the uh, Kados have the hex drive. Mm-hmm. So I go, all right, I need some hex drives. So I had a uh, protopower A-line. Hold on, Jim's on the line. Okay. You here? Maybe not. What? Oh, there he is. All right. So we just started talking. We're talking about remotoring older prototypes. Okay. <laughs> for right now. And so I, I I'm not gonna I'm not gonna have a whole lot to add to that conversation, but Okay. Well let me ask you, is there anything you wanted to talk about? No. I uh, my schedule at work is so mind-numbingly mind-numbing okay. that that I haven't done anything really okay. other than work, work and like cook. <laughs> well, that's two worthy uh, activities. Okay. Well, yeah, you know. So I get home on the weekend, and I basically want to like. I mean, I, I I've done very very little on. Um, you know, I finished the bench work, so I was I was able to set up sort of my module. Okay. Uh, but that I mean, it's nothing major. I just finally screwed some adjustable feet. <laughs> okay. Onto the onto the cabinet I made, so it wasn't complicated. So the, sh the, the that was a long way to say no. Okay. <laughs> I'll just I will just listen to you talk amongst yourself. And by the time I get home, I may be totally exhausted. I'm I'm driving from physical therapy right now, so I may be totally exhausted and totally useless anyway. So that's okay. Um, so I, I I work from I wake up at two thirty in the morning and I work till six. Six at night? Golly, that's a brutal schedule. Well, I mean, I go to work at four a.m. three fifty-five a.m. and I go till six. So okay, slightly. Mind-numbing. Okay. I'll do my best. I'll do my best. But I don't have much. I don't. I don't have much to add to remotoring HO scale E, e units. So. Okay. So I go to ProtoPower West A line and buy their hex drives, and they're adjustable. Mm -hmm. You know, they've got a ball socket on one end, or the ball for a socket. And so I look at all my proto stuff because I have to take the old drive line and just pitch it. And I found a couple of theirs that on the the you know the gear tower side is just made for a, a ball to come in. And right. so I cut them, adjust them, put the hex tips on. And one of the things I notice is the original proto versions, the actual flex is just very stiff. Yeah. So the trucks want to derail. So mm. take them out, go through the parts box, and somewhere along the line, I acquired some a couple Athern worm gears that have the slip-in right. for the ball. And all of a sudden, no binding. They've, they're flared enough that, yeah, the truck can pivot and not bind. So... Did one locomotive. I had to buy some more from uh, 
uh, Delia's uh, company out there, got them in. The measurements are tricky <laughs> because on the Kados, when you look at the very edge of the flywheel, it tapers into that hex shape that's been machined into the flywheel. But mm. there's a little space beyond that, which is a void. So if you cut them too long and it pivots inside there, for whatever reason, then it just spins free. So Yeah. Yeah, so you don't want to push it all the way back to the right. to the back of the flywheel. It has to be sort of in the middle. Yes. And of course trying to see inside, okay, am I in the middle or where? So I ruined two because they were just cut too short. So I put them in the parts box and got the next ones cut and did a test run on the first one, just the the frame. I hooked it up to a, a $10 garage sale DC power pack, put it on mm -hmm. rollers and it, and it rolled, uh, you know, with new Walther's, geared axles with the hex drive with the cotto motor and the longer i ran it the smoother it got so did the other one and here i had to go back out i didn't have any more athern worm gear you know adapter so uh went to power hobby and ordered a couple and they came in so everything's upgraded to athern as far as the worm gears I go into this on the blog entry, the because uh, I've got the trucks here on the test track and I'm just shoving them, and there's still resistance. So, mm -hmm. you know, the trucks are loose and I've got them under the magnifier, and the older trucks, there was the outer side frame and so forth that you actually just kind of flex a little bit. The axle tips will come out of the, the bearing pieces and come away from the uh, pegs on the side. And inside there is a molded piece that has the brake shoe detail. And I'm looking at this and I'm going, these brake shoes are rubbing against the wheel flanges. And so I tried just trimming off the tips and it's kind of like there's two, four, six. So there's 12 of these on each truck because you got, you know, left and right brakes. You got two sides on the truck. And I went, shoot. So the, so the, the brakes are actually working. Yeah, yeah, unintentionally. <laughs> and there's no, no way to flare them out of the way, Jim, because there's enough memory in whatever this plastic compound is to come back. Right. So finally... No, I had the same problem. I had the same problem when I was making my um, my 3D printed trucks. Yeah. I some of the, some of the times I, I printed it the tolerance so high that oh. the brake the brakes actually work. Breaking. <laughs> Un, yes. Yes. Unintentionally. So you had to like wear the brake shoes down a little bit so the wheels would spin properly. But anyway, well, anyway continue. Well, I took a rat tail file and tried to just increase that radius to clear the wheel. And then I looked at it and I went, you know, you can't see these things anyway. No, no, you can't. So I took my 
spruce nippers when they're clip, 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 because they do serve a function in that they position the side frame away from the metal frame of the truck. So there is a function there. And then you've got the the bottom connecting pieces, the clevis and stuff, which you can see. So I just snipped them off, put them back on, lubed it with some uh, Neverstall, which is just light-bodied oil like a LaBelle product, but it has graphite in it. And all of a sudden, I could give them a little nudge and they would coast a little bit. So I put them back in, hooked up the motor again. All of a sudden, these little guys are running very, very nicely. And I look at the truck once it's done, and I go, okay, you can't see it. No one knows that it's missing. And then I've got one truck that's kind of jabberwocky. It's skewed. It's like warped. And mm. I go, what the heck is this? So I pick up the truck, take it out of the frame again, and I'm holding it. I pop the, the axle retainers off, and I'm looking at it. And so you get this metal frame, and in that metal frame are notches where the bearings fit. And there's one of these bearings that's inside that frame. It's not setting on the edge like it should. And so that's allowing the axle to set a little bit low right there. Gives you a little warping to the truck, but it also adds a lot of friction. So mm. I play with pulling it out, putting it back, and so forth. And I can... Put it in that way, but a little movement, it'll drop down. So I ended up taking a pair of needle nose pliers and just gently going to that end and crimping it, not really crimping it, but just forcing that metal as if it were splayed out into the proper inside-to-inside dimension. And all of a sudden, the bearing is staying in place. Hmm. Put it back on. All of a sudden, a it's running free. The truck is setting flat. So reconnect the motor, do all this stuff. And I go, okay, let's go ahead and put in one of these Tsunami 2s and we'll just hook it up. And I'm just going to put it on the track and let it run around the, the railroad here. Send it through turnouts, a couple of the tighter Turn radiuses, I mean, there's still like 36 to 38 on these inner tracks, but, and all of a sudden it's just running very, very smoothly, forward and reverse. So I go through this whole process with the B unit, the augering out of the, the frame, paint, put it in, although the trucks take less time because now I know what these additional things are to to look at, and I put them on, and I, they're both addressed three because they've been programmed. I put them on a couple inches apart and start speed step one. Watch them. And this is no tweaking of the decoder. Speed step two, speed step three. These things are just dead nuts on mm. from speed step one to speed step 10. Just in perfect sync, nice and smooth. So then I hook them together and I run them up to about 50 speed steps. And again, I mean, the couplers are just neutral to each other. No one is shoving and no one's spinning their wheels. And so I'm going, okay, this is looking pretty good. So next step is uh, the lights. 
because these cabs or this the A unit when Walters made it they didn't put a door light in it because some of the later E9s that I've found photos of did not have door lights of course after the mid 90s rebuild they took the door lights out because by then they were putting in ditch lights but they had uh, rooftop beacons so I go okay how am I going to mount this light in there? So I played around with this. And this is, you know, we're already two and a half weeks into this project because every, you know, in the early stages, I'd realize I was out of something, had to order it, wait for it to come in. And so I'm anxious to get this thing going. So I take a 1.8 millimeter warm white LED, lay it in that old style clear nose piece that was on the E units for the what would normally be the gyrolite. Put just a couple dabs of, uh, oh, I think I used Faller Expert in there just to hold it, then I siliconed it. And before I did that, though, I put a shrink tube on it to control, you know, light scatter and glow in the hood network. And I thought, okay, I want to illuminate these number boards. So I held the, the, the shell up to the light and the number boards will transmit light even though they've got numbers on them and stuff. I go, okay, how am I going to light these? Uh, the new ones, it's, Walther's has already done it for you. But So I take those, there's a you know, piece of clear plastic that really is part of a light tunnel that Walters hoped would transmit the light from the headlight out to light the number boards. Really didn't work. But I went, okay, I've got a bunch of surface mount LEDs here, some 0603s. So I drilled a hole in this, this clear lens, and it sets maybe at 16, 330 seconds off the shell. So I drilled a hole, and then I took a real tiny square file and elongated this, and I kept elongating it until this 0603 LED would kind of nest in it. And then I ran the wires back up through the cab just as I did the headlight. Put a little faller cement to hold it in place, and then from behind put acrylic silicone on it. And the reason I use the acrylic silicone, it's got sufficient modulus to hold it in place, but it also has elasticity. So if you're in here messing around, you bump a wire, you're not going to snap it loose because a lot of the other cements don't have a lot of shear strength. You bump them in the right direction, they'll lose their grip. The acrylic silicone absorbs that and even if it stretches it'll come back in position and hold it in place plus you ever need to remove it just the number 11 blade tip will cut through it and you can take it out and redo it so got that in did the wiring hooked it up and put it on a track the headlight works but of course the number boards won't because they haven't been programmed yet but they'll go into 
F3 or 4 on the auxiliary lighting. So that's all good. Mm-hmm. So got the body there and I'm going, all right. Usually it's, you know, when you use a surface mount LED and you take a Details West or one of those people, their rooftop beacons, then you've got to go up through that cord opening with a lens and then shrink tube all this stuff together and so forth. I didn't want all this stuff hanging down inside the cab because I thought, oh, I'm going to take out these, this black cab interior, take off the, the black, yeah, it's just solid black, it's unpainted, crew, and I've got some real nice painted crews with, you know, they don't look like prison guards. <laughs> yeah, regular clothes and put them in there. So I mix up some paint to give me that EMD type green. And I paint the whole cab interior, except for the seats. I do the seat cushions in a light brown, just so it shows up. Yeah, paint the people, put them in there. So I've got a two millimeter yellow LED and I hook it up to a three volt battery and it's got the right kind of color. And I just hold it up to the cab and I'm going, you know, the base or the top of the LED projects enough off the base that it's going to look like a rooftop beacon, especially that UP was using in the the late 80s, early 90s. Not the Western Cullen or whatever it was, but the traditional like bubblegum type. So I put it in there and I find a drill bit that matches it. Find my center line on a cab and put a pilot hole in, then the big drill, and then shove this thing up through there and it's perfect. It fits perfectly. So I paint the bottom of it black, paint the inside of the the cab roof, where it's going to be, paint that black to try and cut down on shell glow and all that stuff. Run my wires down. Underneath, there's an opening in the the rear cab wall. Put that in. And a couple years ago, one of the guys at an affair with trains goes, hey, order these uh, interior E-unit PA cab shades. And when they came in, it's just a little white metal casting, but it has two, you know, sunscreen, sunshades on it, like we have in our cars. A narrow one for over where the engineer would be, and then towards the middle of the cab, there's a, a wider one. And what you do is you just drill a little pilot depression in the inside of the cab roof, and you can glue them in place. And then you can actually bend, take a pair of needle nose pliers, and bend the, uh, the shades however you want them. So I looked it up, and uh, it said to paint them either beige or light gray. So I did that, siliconed them in place, and then looked at it from the front, bent them till I was satisfied with how they looked. It's just additional detail that your eye catches. And so I went, okay, that's looking pretty good. So found photos of UP9s. They've got grab irons up the engineer's side of the cab. Ladder rung on the top, but then you've got four regular double bends up the side and two across the nose. Put those in. Paint those. Found in my box some UP 
I think they call them snow shields, that fit on top of the winterization hatch ahead of the screened opening. And I guess they create enough air disruption by the way they're made that it keeps snow from building up on that winterization fan opening back. I go looking for photos because the legs on them, you know, by the time the thing is, it's uh, molded brass and probably in taking them out of the molds, packaging them, chipping them. These little legs just get bent. They get flattened and all that stuff. Well, it's easy enough to bend them back, but okay. And, and the way they're made, they go over that rounded top of the winterization hatch, but how much clearance is on the inside there? So I go looking for photos. Can't find photos. I can find photos of the, the new ones or the latest rebuild, but what they did, all the photos, they took the winterization hatch and the part over the cab, they just cut it away, put an end on it. That's where they have the cab air conditioner for like the heritage train locomotives. And so that doesn't really tell me you know, how these things are supposed to go there. So I had to make some judgments and needle nose pliers out bending these things after I painted them and got them on there and they look good. And I go, okay, where did they put the horn? Well, the horn got moved from, you know, traditional cab location back. UP put a mount there over that, the end of the winterization hatch that has the opening to the fan beneath. And it's a strap that it goes around the side. And that's where this horn is. So I get some styrene. I took about two times to get the, the proportions right and get it bent in the right place and paint it and get the horn in there and actually took the brass horn casting and left it long that way I could drill through the strap and into that fan screening beneath it you won't see it but it gives more stability to the fan in case you accidentally bump it and won't knock it out so got that done now I go where am I going to put the speakers and I'm thinking okay if I put 28 millimeter round speakers like I had done a a blog entry on. I thought I'd really like to get the guttural sound of the 567 by close coupling sugar cubes. So I've got all these 13 by 18 by 13 sugar cubes. So I make a mounting bracket. I put them on and I do series parallel wiring on them, let silicone cure. And I go back underneath the steam generator location and I take out one of the fans and put it down there and it, you know, I'm eyeballing this and I'm going, okay, I'll miss the, the worm gear cover on the truck. Should be okay. Yeah, should be. <laughs> so yeah, three days later after all the silicone is cleared and my wife's home now for a, two weeks, so there's things to do during the day. I go back this morning and snap the bodies on and they kind of look like they fit, but the rear is up just a little bit because the speakers are hitting the worm gear cover on the truck. And I'm going, well, crap. Biscuit eating rabbits are on the loose here. So mm. take all this stuff out, go in, measure again. And on the inside of the E-shells, Walters has molded. There's one of the fans in the real life that sits lower. It's the one that's on the backside of the winterization hatch underneath the screening. And it's only like an eighth, three thirty seconds deep, but it's enough 
that it causes those taller sugar cubes to collide or interfere with the uh, worm gear cover. So I go, all right, so I've got to cut this down, cut it out, but I got to do it in such a way that it doesn't cause a stress or a crack in the roof that shows. So that took about 30 minutes on both bodies because I only had to do it on the rear one. And then get in there with a file, file it smooth, silicone all this stuff in. It's been curing all day. And so I'll try it in the morning. But I'm pretty sure just by eyeballing it, I took measurements. It wasn't like I just, hey, I think this will work. But apparently the offset of that fan housing there was just enough to make it barely impact. And even even if it would have allowed the truck to pivot under protest, it would have caused a terrible sonic vibration when that speaker, because they're down firing speakers. So I think I've got that done. <laughs> so in the morning, I'll try. I still have to put the MU hoses on the, the pilot and then program it. But all in all, Chris, I bet you on these two locomotives, I've probably got 40 hours. I bet you do. It sounds like a, you had quite a battle there. Well, but there'll be a, I've documented it for anybody else who wants to do this. Now, I'll put it on the blog section of MRH and maybe even on the podcast. Plus, I'll shoot some, shoot some video. Yeah. But like I said, to, Walther's most recent runs of the Proto 2s have been, I couldn't find any undecorated bodies. I even went to Walther's, talked to the guy in the warehouse. He said, no, he said, we don't have any undecorated bodies for the new one. And the old bodies won't fit in a new frame. There's something that causes them not to fit. And so I looked and the only ones I could find were Five and four to five hundred and fifty bucks, and then you'd have to strip all the paint, not damage the details, repaint them. And I went, okay, let's make these old ones work. But it's been fun. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, an project like that could be fun. (laughs) Yeah, I blame it all on you for getting me hooked on remotoring and modifying. Well, this is the time to do it. I mean. Whenever, whenever you get an opportunity to get parts for, well, you know, it, it really helps to kind of de- determine which way you want to go with your parts. Yeah. What are the most common parts for you, you know? Yeah. yeah and- so- sounds like fun for a masochist. <laughs> yeah, my wife but, but, has but, made similar comments. <laughs> but then again, I, I handle a Proto 48 track, so I don't have much to say. I was going to say, yeah. Uh, that's the pot calling the kettle black here. Ah, well, you know, it's each to his own, you know? Yeah. So can't tell you how impressed I am with the SDP-40Fs. Oh, you like those, huh? Yes, and I bought one of the uh, Santa Fe versions, too. The bodywork is just incredible. Totally yeah. beautiful. Two of them... The, one of the Santa Fe, or the Santa Fe, 
and one of the STP40Fs. I've already done the uh, programming, setting up the DDE. Uh, the other STP40F Amtrak, I've got to go back in and tweak uh, one of the DDE numbers because hmm. it's low speed is smooth as anything. It runs very well with the other when I MU them for the mm -hmm. Amtrak train. But on the slowdown, it's, it's loping a little bit. It's, I'm getting a little surge. So I've got to get back into the manual, find out which, you know, which of the value, which two values I need to tweak to smooth that uh, slowdown speed. Uh, and I've, I've done it consistent and I've done it just the engine running by itself. And once it gets to about 25 to 20 speed notches, you see it kind of jerk a little bit. Not a jerk, but the speed doesn't decrease smoothly. Hmm. It's down to up, down to up, down to up. So one of those values um, has got to it, be... It sounds, it sounds like um, either you have a problem with the... Um with either one of the traction motors or the dynamic brakes aren't working right. <laughs> okay, thank you. Thank no problem. You. No okay. problem. So, it's, so it's actually very realistic, probably. <laughs> so I should probably just get a new Notch 3 module and plug it in? Ah, well, you know, you know it's, it's probably the dynamics aren't working right, you know, so just, it's, it's okay. Just leave it the way it is. It'd be fine. Just like real. Just like real ones. It's like, yeah, well, you know, they have an issue, you know, and so why does that, why does that engine kind of like surge like that? Ah, it's a problem with the dynamics. What? Yeah, the dynamics, the dynamics weren't, they, they're just not working right. They got, it's got to go into the shop, but they, they had to run it. They had to okay. run the train. So they just, uh, they figured that they figured they'll take it into the shop once it gets to uh, San Bernardino. Okay. So, <laughs> it's like, and people would be like, what? It's like, it's realistic. It happens. Yeah. Now I do, Chris, I do like the way you guys engineered the headlight number board and uh, on the Amtrak units, the gyro-like connections so that when you pull off the body, you don't have wires. You've designed two mating pieces with metal contact points, you know, flexible that mm -hmm. do that that is excellent so uh, th that was that's why i was wondering if you took off the shell when i talked to you last <laughs> yeah yeah the shell came off after the first day because i just wanted to see what you had in there mm -hmm. and it's interesting because on the uh on the santa fe unit on the one of the uh amtrak units when i took it apart, had to cab, I noticed that you guys did different colors. The Santa Fe cab is like the traditional EMD, that light green. Yeah. And the Amtrak units are a beige. Mm-hmm. So I had all these seated passengers 
it's I, it's Walther's uh, scenic accessories or whatever they call that 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 line, and it's the passenger sets with no legs, so you can put them in right. dome cars and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And so there's two people there that look like uh, engine crew. Mm-hmm. And one of them's a mime, and I thought, well, no one's going to see it. This, so I used the mime for the conductor side or the brakeman side, and then the passenger on the other. And before I put them in, I just gave them an ink wash, you know, an ink solution, alcohol and India ink, and it dulls that bright plastic look paint. And then, of course, it seeps into the crevices and gives you a little shadow detail on the clothing yep. and stuff. Sure. But looks so good. I mean, those are nice looking interiors. And again, the way you guys have done the lights so we don't have a uh, a snake's nest of uh, wires in there. Boy, my hat's off to you <laughs> on that. That was excellent. Um, have you had a chance to change prime movers in the two Amtrak ones? Yes. I've, uh, one of them has CV-123 at four. And the other one has CV-123 at six. Two distinct sound. Yeah, one has a really quick startup and the other one's pretty pretty standard, right? Right. And you can do the, well, CV-5 is the 645 with the EFI, which again is a totally distinct sound, especially when it's idling. It's a lot more on upper mid-range because you got that, you're picking up, I guess, more of the... uh, turbo wine and stuff in there but yeah i've got one set at uh four and the other one set at uh six so they complement each other and you don't have that resonant sound at idle where you get the wah-wah effect yeah 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 no they're great and the lights it took a while to find out where the red control light was for the red gyro light in the nose and in fact i'm looking at everything on decoder pro and i went what the heck is this down here on the bottom emergency stop button (laughs) (laughs) so i reprogrammed it up to uh one of the upper buttons so i could uh periodically turn it on Um, but no they are just incredible beautiful beautiful so so you've been running them a little bit i take it yes oh i took them out of the box the first night Set them in here, and the first thing, got that first cup of coffee, let the dog go out, you know, take care of business, and then came in, gently picked them up out of the, you know, the clear packaging and set them on the track. Got out some uh, Amtrak cars and, yeah, ran them around a couple times even before I programmed them. (laughs) He couldn't wait. (laughs) No, couldn't wait. Yeah. So, they are just gorgeous. I haven't weathered them yet. I've been collecting photos of I'm not going to grunge them up but they'll have you know some low level truck fuel tank snow plow dust and dirt that builds up there and a little uh, dulling set on the top uh, apparently some of the Amtrak or the Santa Fe units the notch nose apparently some of those little babies got pretty grungy during their history oh so, I'm sure of it <laughs> oh yeah so I may do a little bit more there the, uh, you yeah, know, we were talking about, well, I've got to go out and get some high-level Amtrak cars to go with these. So I went to the hobby store, 
got some there, got some here, because I want them to be an Amtrak Phase 1 or Phase 2 paint. Because I've gone to uh, your alma mater microscale, mm -hmm. and I could not find any Phase 1 or Phase 2 car stripes. Really? Find a lot of phase, yeah. Phase 3, Phase 4, Phase 4B, nothing in Phase 1 or 2. And I went, okay, so I'm not going to be doing any repainting. So got them and bought one of the lounge cars, the ones that have the windows over the top. Mm -hmm. And that was easy. Unsnap it, body comes off in one piece. I think there's a couple screws that hold the upper floor from the bottom floor. So I go on the web, find photos of Amtrak interiors. So I look at the lounge cars and found some. You have to make some presumptions. Like I know the carpet, it's not black or anything, but it is dark shade. So I used dark lark gray. And then the seats I saw were mostly like a beige background with blue cushions. And then the walls were kind of a, a darker brown. And I just found pictures and went, okay, that's what I'll do. So, and I've got, because of my wife's hobby, I've got tons of paintbrushes. She buys these big packages and doesn't use them. So, but it took to do it. The, you know, I thought, well, I'm just going to paint the part of the floor you can see which became, okay, I'm going to paint the whole floor whether you can see it or not. Get back to Jim's comment about obsessive compulsive. So get it done, paint the seats. Then you go back. Well, I need to touch this up. My brush moved and I hit that. I bet you had eight hours in painting the interior on these cars because I kept going back. and Okay, I'm going to touch that up with a micro brush, this up, this up. And then I dull coated the people, put the ink wash on them, hit them with a little uh, kind of a medium beige powdered pigment, and then dull coated it. And they looked really good. They didn't look like injection molded plastic people. Put them in the seats with a little dab of silicone and stuff. And after that, two or three days of on again, off again, work on it, let it dry, so forth. Got it all done, rusted up the wheels, you know, grimed up the wheels. Haven't weathered it yet, but snapped it together because I even did the lower level where the restrooms and stuff were. And I put it in, and Walter says, modeled these cars with the tinted glass. You can barely see the people. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh no. <laughs> yes. So, I go, well, the uh, the coaches in the step-down diner or the step-down coaches in the diner look to be a little bit lighter. So I take them apart. I've got the instructions. It says pull off the bottom and it'll lift off. Well, somebody had put the wrong instructions in this in this box. It's a three-piece body. Oh no. The sides come loose, and it's the sides have three tabs across the bottom. And up where they join the roof, there's three more tabs. Mm -hmm. And these tabs do not want to come out. In fact, oh. probably half of them broke. Excellent. Getting them out. And then the 
first and second floor were screwed together. So again, three more days of painting, touch up, painting, touch up, get the people in it. And I go, well, crap, <laughs> you can, you can make them out, but it's not like a lot of detail because of the tinted glass. So that one goes back together pretty easily. You put the top on and then you push in the sides and the sides, I guess just a little bit of overlap on a, on a molded ridge on the top. So it looks seamless. Mm -hmm. But the okay, important thing that, is, Paul, that you'll know it's there. No, that one turned out okay, Jim. Oh no, I mean, I, I mean oh, so you so you can see the people in that one? Barely. <laughs> ah, well, that's what I mean. You'll know you did the work. Yes. Nobody else in the world will see. I have to point it out to them. <laughs> so I go to put the so I go to put the last one together after the people and stuff are in it, and I'm already just a little frustrated because. You can't see all of the careful painting and the people. And I can't get the top to fit flush with the sides. And I go, and I'm talking about three or four attempts. Walk away from it, come back to it. Yeah. You know, I had to end up on the bottom sides cutting the tabs off. And when I would position it up to the side, it would match the seam perfectly. So when I took it apart, something shifted. You know, that relationship of tab to part that allows, allows it to fit the way it was in the box. And so I ended up, I thought, crap. You know, go in there, touched up some filing with an emery cloth. I thought, maybe this is just rough. Ended up cutting the tabs off. And again, a dab of silicone here, dab of silicone there put it down, kind of mushed it, and slid it into position. All the seams and stuff were were perfect. But I went, okay, this is never coming apart again. <laughs> huh. <laughs> never coming apart again. So, but it's a good-looking train. Nice. So the, so the last two, uh, what do they call those, scenic liners or high liners, whatever it is, High level cars? Yes. The ones that the original batch made in the late uh, 70s by Pullman Standard. Not the Bombardier, but the Pullman Standards is the ones I bought. Walters makes both. I've, I got a couple more in and I thought, okay, I'm not going to bother painting the interiors or anything on these and putting people in them. They don't have tinted glass. <laughs> so I'm going, wait a minute, they don't have any tinted glass. So if I take them apart, and do the work, you'll be able to see it. So, because I, because <laughs> you know the transition cars that Am or uh, Santa Fe had mm -hmm. when they had the high level El Capitan, they had the the dorm cars, and they put on the that big raised roof session to transition aesthetically to the high level cars. I bought one of those. Oh, cool. And that, that looks good. I've got a baggage in front of it. So I'm up to about, I think, seven cars on that train because I'll put a couple regular, I think they call them heritage sleepers in phase one paint behind it, mm -hmm. which is kind of typical for the middle 70s after the STPs came out. Yeah. Ah, oh, but it looks so good. 
Those yep, are great locomotives. They were, they were worth the years of wait I just to get them. <laughs> My wife goes, you've been waiting for these how long? I said, well, these were just pre-ordered last, late last winter. I said, but the locomotive itself, <laughs> since mid-75. So anyway, <laughs> good job, 32 years. Yeah. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. 42 years? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I had made one out of your guy's uh, blue box, the uh, first FP45s. I kit bashed that based on an article in uh, uh, Model Railroader. And in the later years when Laser Tech or whatever the company is came out with the new flush mount windshields, I put those in there and extra details over the time. And for a, yeah, an old open frame, mid-70s Ather motor, the thing looked good. I painted it phase one paint, you know, microscale details or decals and repositioned the roof to simulate the V16 versus the V20s that were in the, the uh, Santa Fe uh, FP45, built up the, the pilot put in the gyro lights and it looked good, but it went, went by the wayside a few years ago and which is good because it was nowhere near obviously what you guys have come out with. So, yeah. So daddy liked then, huh? Yeah. Chris did good. <laughs> Chris did good. I, I I can't take credit for that locomotive. Oh, the R and D team, that's entirely their creation. Oh, you, know, well, you pass so. it on that yeah. Gillette is happy. Yeah, yeah. yeah let, let the guys that did all, all you know, all the work um get get their get their mention because they deserve it. They did a they did do a very good job on this locomotive. Why don't we have one of them on? Or have them on? Oh well, maybe is one of these Is there an interesting days. backstory there? Uh, on the SDP? Yeah, I'm not sure. It's think the, about it. The the drive. Yeah, I'll 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 think about it some, and uh, we'll we'll see if we can get someone to come join me. One of these. I times. mean that that's backstory that sometimes is just really interesting, you know. Yeah, you know, I think the the part about going out to to find the last. SDP 40F in existence in the United States is incredibly interesting because there was okay. kind of a race between time because these things are, you know, rusting away. And yeah. un unless if they're in an active restoration service, there's, there's a, there's an expiration to them, even in, you know, just sitting around just not more than a couple of years ago. Uh, there was two SD nines in the, from the Bay Area called Huff and Puff. And uh, <laughs> both of them, both Huff and Puff, were stored. But I think one of them ended up getting scrapped. And not and it wasn't too, that long ago. Um, okay. It, it, it was just too far gone, you know. And it's a real shame just because of, you know, the, the two were together and then now one of them's completely gone. And to scrap an SD9 in this day and age... Oh, it, it, it's, it, it's sad, you know? Yes, it is. It's sad. So, it, it was sad to see him go in the 90s, 
but now it's like there's even less of them out there. So when one goes, it's like, ooh, that, that, that hurts a little bit more, you know? Well, and what a number of the STP-40Fs were cannibalized to supply parts for the F-40PHs. Apparently, yeah. Yeah. Now that, and of course I was in the railroad industry back then, and the thing that we would talk about, we'd go, well, wait a minute, an STP-40F is in essence an SD-40-2. The HTC trucks by then had been proven for several years in high-speed service. So what has changed that all of a sudden the STPs keep derailing, you know, above a certain speed? And that, you know, that led to speed restrictions, the use of pilot engines and crews and I mean, I can understand why Amtrak eventually made the decision to retire, but I could never figure out, wait a minute, it's the same truck that's on an SD-40-2, and they've, they both run at 65, 70 miles an hour, so why one, not the other? Well, you know, I actually did do an interview with Kevin Keefe, and okay. I've been chewing on yet another video editing project, but I could never get some of the video to to the level I wanted to get it at. But I do need to go outbound with it because it, it, it does have a very interesting story about why the derailments happened. Um, there's a lot of theories, mind you. Uh, I think the one that... there There's three components to it. In the 1970s, there was, there was just a lot of bad track out there. Okay. Number two... Uh, the SCP-40F had a very large twin uh, steam boiler in the back of the locomotive. Okay. And there was just a lot of water sloshing around. And then, yeah. then there's also some of the baggage cars that were used. I think it was a combination of things. The, the, okay. The, 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 sw- the water sloshing around, a baggage car that might be light, just these things bouncing and moving and doing these things might have popped the locomotives off the tracks. You know, it's a mixture of three different things. I believe that that created the derailments. Yeah. One of the, one of the theories was that the water was too high. So, you know, unlike the fuel, which is slung underneath the locomotive, right. The water, the water tank was higher up. So the center of gravity was screwed up. Right. Um, and that's the, that's the logical thing. Yeah. Then if you're, can, yeah, if you're coupled to the right type of car that can screw things up and yeah, that's why. And then with the issue with the track, Santa Fe never had any issues. Yeah. And that's why, well, that's why they ran them in the, you know, but Santa Fe always had good track as far as I know. I mean, so. Yeah. Yeah. That, and also the Santa Fe got rid of the steam boiler, you know, so there, there ah. goes the water problem and. There was, I don't believe any any issues past that. So. No, no. What I'm saying is that even the Santa Fe never had restrictions on the SDP40s, even in Amtrak service. From oh, yeah. what I recall, they didn't have. You know, that's why you know when they came up for sale, they were like, "Yeah, sure, we'll take them." <laughs> yeah, we don't. We don't. Yeah, they run on our railroad just fine. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they're they're SD40-2. Sure, we'll take a few more. Yeah, but I mean, the most logical thing is. You know the high center of gravity with the water. That's, it's a, it's a very logical explanation. 
Yeah. Okay, but the counter to that, or at least another perspective, is from 68 up to the introduction of the SDPs in 74, I believe. The Santa Fe had FP45s with steam generators. So but you that, would have that, had the high mount tanks there, wouldn't you? Not not necessarily. Okay. No, they had a, they didn't have the twin boiler steam generators like the SDP40F and if you take like the end section of an FP45 and stick it by your SDP40F, you'll see what I mean, Paul. Uh, there's there's okay. like two stacks kind of parallel to each other on the back of that. Okay. Yeah, it's a different design, so it's Okay. Yeah, you're you're trying to, I don't know. I, I mean, I don't I don't know the specifics of it, but that's one of the theories that I had heard was just. Uh, I think it's it's it makes sense to me, and it's yeah. always just been a curiosity thing. All right. The other the other thing is, the, you know, I'm not sure where the water supply was mounted on an FP45. So, you know, I think you know one of the things besides the boilers, but the water supply was in a different spot on a SDP 40, um, the SDP 40 F. So as I recall, I don't know, you know, I'm sure somebody will say, oh, well, actually. Okay. You know, anybody who actually knows, the on S- our podcast page. Okay. <laughs> that's my, that's my, that's my story. Well, I am, I have to wake up at two 30 in the morning. So oh. well, feel free to go nappy time. Okay, good. Have a, have a fine evening. Thank you for releasing me. <laughs> okay. Yeah, twist my twist my arm really hard. Twist my arm. Yeah. Have a good night. All, All right, right. Take care. So, Chris, how are you on your video channel with the remotering videos? <laughs> I I have no progress on the video. I I keep getting to a point and I just haven't been able to to pull the trigger on it and call it done. I have I have a, several videos like that. I have an S, one on the SCP forty F. Um, there's a, I, I keep having to reshoot the clips cause there's certain things that, that bug me like the pulse width modulation on the LEDs. Um, it was the first time shooting that and we saw that and we couldn't figure out how to get around it. So we're just like, well, I guess we're just going to have to ignore it. Well, needless to say later on, we figured it out. <laughs> so all what those shots it? need to get redone. What was it? Uh, going to at 60 frames a second on your cameras. Oh. Yeah. What's best? What's the best rate? 24? Well, you know, I think the standard is 30. Yeah. So you got to double your frames per second in order to eliminate the, the flickering that, that happens when you're trying to video with your iPhone or a video camera or something like that. So that... That needs to get redone, and then there's a couple things that need to get redone on the on my video too. I just need to redo the intros and uh, uh, get a haircut so I I don't look like a a bum. Oh, gee. <laughs> so uh, with all these things kind of like shaping up, I, I I plan to have it out soon enough. But I already have the next project lined up. I think I'm gonna do. Proto 2000 GP9, actually. Okay. And now, is any of this related to your upcoming uh, guest appearance at Train World? No, not guest appearance. We're just going to be uh, remotely 
showing up uh, the the spirit locomotive uh, pretty much from the Horizon Hobby headquarters. Oh, wow. Okay. So, yeah. Uh, but no, as far as like the GP9, uh, I'm kind of sick of the, the split gears and stuff like that. So I'm going to see if there's a way that I can put on, do the, do the Kato motor upgrade, you know, and also sink in the doing, doing some different gearboxes on that thing too. That's an interesting point. Uh, I presume all these uh, truck frames could be taken apart and you could actually change out the gears on the inside of that leading up to the worm gear. Is that a correct assumption? I'm going to try that first just because it makes everything else that much easier. Yeah. But if it comes down to it, I'll, I'll replace the entire truck with, a, with an RTR truck. Okay. Um, there's also, uh, a, I've heard secondhand that you could use the Genesis GP9 underframe and it's a drop-in replacement. And then you'd benefit by having a good motor, some, you know, nicer gearboxes, much nicer gearboxes. and uh, Okay. Much nicer truck side frames and everything else. So, yeah, try. I'm going to try a couple different approaches with it and see which one I like the most, and, and go with that. Okay. Yeah, it's like after all this time trying to get these uh, sugar cubes in this locomotive. If I put these together tomorrow and there's still interference, I'm dropping back to the 28 millimeter. You know, round high bass speakers on them. Yeah, you know, yeah. Some after a while, you just accept it and move on. Yeah, yeah. There, there's other battles to be had. You know. So. <laughs> yeah. So we had this, uh, yeah, this conversation, my wife and I, about moving out of New Orleans over mm-hmm. to north of Dallas, and now when she goes on Zillow or one of those places there. And this is nothing that's going to happen before, you know, next June. But she's already mentally plotting it out. Mm-hmm. She understands. She said, I want you to go look at this house on Zillow. Look at the train room it has. <laughs> I'm going, all right. We, we have a, an agreement of, uh, of requirements here. Look at the train room it has. Uh, so we were in the 80s on Sunday, low 80s, not a lot of humidity. And then this morning when I woke up, you know, because it got a lot of windows open in the house, I turned off the air and just had the windows open, and especially on second floor. And it's like 43 outside. And I'm going, well, hello, fall, better late than never. I know, right? <laughs> yes, I think Thanksgiving Day is supposed to be only in the 60s and then when... We leave on a cruise on Sunday, and it's only supposed to be 62 when Carnival pulls out of New Orleans heading into the Gulf. (laughs) You'll find north eventually. Yeah. (laughs) Just keep heading south. She checked the itinerary, and most of those places will be in the middle 80s. Oh, boy. I went, okay, maybe I'll put a – and I've never been on a cruise before, so I don't know, but – you know, I'm like a lot of people my age look back at the 
the love boat that used to be that primetime sitcom. And I'm going, wow, these people get all dressed up on these cruises. It's uh, not that way anymore. Shorts are, at least on Carnival, shorts are good. No sleeveless or T-shirts. Some of the restaurants on certain decks you have to have on long pants, no jeans. But the requirement for a coat and tie is pretty much, if I read the the guidelines pretty much gone away unless you're sitting at the captain's table by invitation. Uh-huh. So I'm going, please tell me we're not going to be below below sea level in an inside compartment with no windows. Uh. And she said, nope, we have a balcony. Oh, awesome. I went, okay. She said, <laughs> yep, we're from the sixth floor from the top with a balcony. And I went, oh, great. Good. I've never had a problem with motion sickness, but yeah. one of the ways, as long as you can fixate on or you know, see the horizon, your body can adjust itself and the vertigo and a lot of that stuff goes away. Don't worry, we're taking motion sickness drugs just in case. <laughs> but nice. I'm not expecting to do a lot of train watching down through... Uh, some of these uh, islands and stuff leading back to Mexico. So that will have to wait for another day. Just bring a lot of train videos or DVDs yeah. with you. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Going to the one of the theaters. Hey, can I stream this on the big screen? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Throw it I on do- a laptop or an iPad or something, and there you go. What I do want to do is... Hop on the uh, city of New Orleans here, go to Chicago and pick up the Amtrak Cal Zephyr mm-hmm. and go to L.A. and then come back across to Arizona and Texas on the sunset or whatever that's called across across there. Get a, a sleeper compartment yeah. each time and just enjoy long-distance train travel. Absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, I can guarantee it's a lot less than a, than a cruise, but so, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. The dog's not too happy about going to the kennel for, <laughs> for a week, but so anyway, it uh, should be fun. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> You know, there's this uh, article that came out in the October 2017 Model Railroad Hobbyist uh, by Terrence Boardman. And what he does is he goes into an old Atherin blue box and okay. weathers it up. It's a Banger and Roostick uh, 50-some foot mechanical refrigerator car. And it just, it was just synchronicity, quite honestly, because I, I just won an eBay auction. I've been actually looking for one of these cars to uh to do a weathering job slightly different because the green bay and western actually acquired some of these ex banger and rustic uh 57 foot mechanicals and they they did a a, a a patch all they did is they just like took an orange you know blotch and just patched out the bar and put over green bay and western their reporting marks and that was it and and the significance is that those cars were were used in butter service out of the Humboldt Bay, 
in the early 90s. So I, I wanted to do one of those cars. Um, I, I found a couple prototypes that I thought were pretty cool. And uh, so I got this eBay. I won this eBay auction and then Terrence Boardman's article came out about like a week of a week different. Finally had some time to kind of look at it and uh, approach how I'm going to uh, work on it. It's every bit a rescue project as you can imagine. And a rescue project by uh, by definition to, to me is a one that where you kind of like take someone else's modeling and you kind of you know, put your own hand to it. Sure. And um, for for me personally, I I, I like the details associated of uh, stirrups and some of the other parts that uh, I I've, I've been using on the other cars. And uh, I, I think whoever had it before kind of hand bent their their own stirrups, and they were mounted from the side. Okay. The detail associate ones want to be mounted on the bottom of the shell. So you run into a, a pretty major problem pretty fast is those holes that were side mount, you're starting to run into, you know, it, it makes the, the whole side sill very delicate where you start chopping into it with, it starts resembling Swiss cheese. Yeah. So I had to cut off all the plastic where he went side mount and I'm going to be putting on new styrene to replace it. So I can do the bottom mount. And as as the nature of all things, like looking at prototype photos, the more you look, the more you find. Well, yeah. I found this thing had a different roof than the stock Athern one. So <laughs> fortunately, I have the roof, but unfortunately, it took a lot of uh, like finagling to remove the roof in a, in a way that I could actually recover and insert a new one. Okay. And How'd you new... do it? <laughs> I took it to Horizon Hobby and I machined out the roof. <laughs> <laughs> okay, all right, a little inside help. <laughs> yeah, you know, having a having a machine is is really nice, but if you don't know how to use it, you tend to screw up a lot. Ooh. And uh, <laughs> I screwed up a lot on it, so I, I'm kind of looking at it, and going like, well, I think I might be able to recover, you know. It's going to take a little body putty, but I think I'll be able to recover the, the areas that I need to on it. But I'm, I'm hoping that it comes out as nice as uh, Terrence's car. It, his, his, he got the cover shot on it. it. It looked really nice, and it kind of gave me a, a little extra thrust of inspiration to get, get this one out, off the workbench, you know. So, Well, the, the photo, it's on the cover, and then it's also uh, back where the article is. Mm-hmm. What's interesting is how he opened up the body on that end to insert the uh, generator back in there. Right. Yeah. Oh, that's that is a neat trick. It is. Um, I I didn't want to go to that to that. Uh, I don't I don't want to call it anything, but to that uh, level of modeling. Uh, I, I just lose interest in it after a while. <laughs> I mean, it, having to replace the roof to better match the prototype was, you know, I, I, I'm I'm already kind of like crossing that. Am I actually going to finish this project? You know, type thing. Am I, I'm asking myself, is this really worth <laughs> continuing? So, 
I'm hoping that uh, my interest kind of uh, maintains so I can finish it and be done with it, you know. Okay. I mean, he put Molico draft gear covers or draft gear boxes. He, oh. A lot of stuff on there. I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, the original model, as I bought it from eBay, he, the, the, the gentleman before me went in and added some underframe detail. And it actually looks pretty darn nice. Unfortunately, okay. it's done for a regular box car, and I need to put a hydro cushion cylinder right in the middle of the draft. Yeah, that's right. Um, but yeah, the gentleman before has like this nice sort of retaining bar that goes across right in the middle of the draft gear, so I'm going to have to pull that off and move it. But one of the things that I, I saw was kind of like a repair on this car was... He took like a KD number five coupler box. Okay. And the Athern blue box, 57 foot refrigerator cars are notorious for that extended coupler pocket breaking off. Oh. So it, that's what this car suffered in the past and how, how this, how this gentleman got around it. Um, I think he just like screwed a, a KD number five box on the very back edge of KD number five box into the underframe and it still had the ears on it. So, <laughs> <laughs> so okay. I had to take all that off it. And a lot of this stuff was glued together. So I had to, you know, pry the underframe off from the, from the, um, uh, the center beam or the center sill from the underframe, pry all that off so I could get under that neath it. And I actually went in and I used the details of West, uh, scale coupler pocket. On both it, both sides, not just one. <laughs> okay. On both sides, and uh, did a little, uh, you know, drilling and screwing and stuff like that to get them inserted. And I'm I'm pretty pleased with with how that's coming along. One other thing I like doing with these cars is actually lowering them about, I'd say six scale inches. Okay. And by doing that, it gives it a really nice low slung appearance to me it looks better it may not be 100 percent prototypical but to my eye it looks good so no i understand what you're saying because a lot of them tend to be just a skosh high mm -hmm. and so yeah i understand your comment i think it's a good idea now you know walters makes those extended frames mm -hmm. yeah they're I've... beige and coming would that work for you too to give you that uh hydra cushion type look yeah yeah actually they you, you, there. It's nice having so, uh, such a big selection of, of parts from different manufacturers because sometimes each one of them offers a little different feature. Um, the reason why I went with the Details West coupler pocket is it allows me to actually lower the car a little bit. Okay. So the top of the coupler draft gear is at, at a higher position than the Moloko one. Okay. And then also the Walther's one. So by going that route, I, I, it gives me a couple, it gives me some options to actually drop the, to lower the car. So, okay. Well, Boardman, I mean, what he did for this article, I mean, that's, I can understand why you were motivated. That's a good looking car. It's awesome. <laughs> yeah. His, his weather, the subtleties of his, of his weathering in his roof is just incredible. My hat's off to him. Yeah, yeah. I mean, lessons it, to be learned that, here. 
it really got me kind of cranked up because I'm like, oh, yeah, that's the part I like is getting out the paint and kind of mm-hmm. like doing what he's doing here. And I've been really looking forward to it. But me being me with a, I, I, I like also getting a, certain features about the roof and then also the, the draft gear for this particular car. Um, a, little, a little bit more, you know, since I noticed the roof, I can tell the differences now. I've been looking at refrigerator cars quite a bit. So now I'm like, ah, oh, gosh darn it, I know too much, so now I need to replace the roof on it. <laughs> so, but one step at a time, I got, I got, I'm getting there. I'm getting there. So. Alright, so you're going to put a when this is done, you'll put a photo on the podcast uh, Facebook page? Absolutely. I'm going to see if I can download the the before. I could do a before, and I might take, like, a couple in-progress shots and show the after. So, if I can ever get to the after, <laughs> I need to complete this darn thing. So, Well, and coincidentally, in that same October issue, we've got uh, Mike Confalone doing mm-hmm. a an album on a lot of his cars and he's got some very interesting weathering and stuff going on on some of these cars uh a lot of wealth of information in in this magazine so yeah yeah no i I mean that that was a personal story that that kind of i know we're talking about october and it's november right now but yeah we're not very much longer but it's still interesting to to go back and really absorb some of these articles um, I'm using one that isn't that long ago to, to kind of like, uh, I guess, boost my juice a little bit on, on, on this project. So, well, yeah, the motivation hits us, you know, at different times and in different ways. So I always take it at, Hey, you know, it works for me. Mm-hmm. So I don't know that I'll jump back in and do another <laughs> couple E units after I think this may satisfy that uh, remotering urge on that particular model for a while. <laughs> Although I do have one more to do. I've got a, a Black Widow Proto E do. I don't know why. I've got no other Black Widow units. It just It's there, you know? Right. Maybe I'll do it and then take it to the hobby shop and sell it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, because the gentleman approached me, he said, would you do some... Uh, DCC installs for me. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, let me give you a conditional yes. <laughs> I said, what do you have in mind? So we had a discussion and I came home, did an outline and took it back to him. I said, here's my suggestions. Let me know if you want to discuss this further. And he said, well, let's get past the Christmas rush first. Mm-hmm. So, cause I've done in, I've, a lot of HO, and I've even done O's mm-hmm. on Atlas and MTH. Excuse me, I've done done those. So, but apparently he has people coming in and asking him how they can get it done. Really? Yeah. And I'm going, well, oddly enough, I enjoy putting in decoders, you know, figuring it out, making it work. So let me say... Conditional, yes, but let's lay out the details and specifics. So, I mean, I'm retired, but if I'm going to invest my time in something, I want to make sure I feel it's uh, compensated. To right. This shall see. Uh, 
He's, uh, he downsized his shop, and he went back to the shop he had 30 years ago because he owns the building. Mm-hmm. And it's got a real warm, cozy feel when you walk into it. And even though most of what he does is remote control, both cars, you know, hovercraft and airplanes, and O-scale, he has got a compl- a very extensive wall display of current run Genesis, RTR, Proto, and Atlas stuff. So he's, really? Yeah, in HO. So, I mean, he's selling it. It's just that his focus and display emphasis is on the bigger scales. And he's a nice guy. I enjoy mm-hmm. going in there. He orders a lot of the stuff that I need. So that way I can support a local merchant. So it's interesting. So how much longer, what's your time on this uh, reefer? Well, I spent, let's see here. I spent probably four hours into it, getting the, getting it to where it is right now. Um, what I'll do is, is I'll, I'll post some of the pictures that, that are from the eBay auction. Okay. And that'll kind of give you a leg to stand on. And I'll take some current pictures and okay. I'll, I'll drop them into, I think t- the Terrence actually had a, a thread on the model railroad hobbyist. Oh, did podcast, he? Uh, okay. Or, or the model railroad hobbyist forum. I could drop them in there and I could also put them onto the Facebook page. Just it, it, it's quick to access, you know, Okay. And then you can kind of see where I'm at with it. <laughs> right now I'm looking at it. It's just like the roof is off, you know, the everything's kind of in disarray. The you know, I'm wondering if I'm actually helping this thing or hurting it more. So <laughs> Yeah, most of the projects you get to that point and you go, Oh crap, what have I done? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. It's uh not necessarily buyer's remorse, but uh, modeler's remorse. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> you go. Is is there an end to this path? You know, or have I just screwed up something otherwise very nice? No, yeah. I know that feeling. I know that feeling. It's like that CF seven that was made on Indian burial ground. There was a point when I thought, <laughs> you know, I should just chuck this and forget I ever started it. But then it came together. So. Yeah, it's funny how that happens, isn't it? Yes, all of a sudden, it's like the evil spell is broken in a manner of speaking, and then it all comes together, so (laughs) how cool. Well, as soon as I can, like, get past the the whole what-have-I-done type stage of this this build, I think it'll be okay. Um, But... Photos pending. I'll, I'll I'll take some pictures here pretty quick and get this all uploaded so okay you do any shows over the next month well we did train fest and man yeah. that was a, that was a that was a big show i mean yeah <laughs> we could barely even like get outside of the i didn't even see what happened at, at train fest this year it was uh, i'm still trying to like find videos and photo albums and stuff like that to kind of relive the the show that i didn't really get out to from the booth to see Okay. But, uh, but for December, no, no immediate shows. And then right first weekend of January, we're going to be in Monroeville, Pennsylvania. Okay. 
Yeah. When's and then Amherst? also North, North Carolina. I think Amherst is the last weekend. January? Yeah. Oh, we're in North Carolina. Uh, let's see here. Let's go to... Raleigh? It may be. Let me go WGHshow.com, and I can tell you. Or Atherin.com. It has the same shows listed, but it's uh, Charlotte, North Carolina. Well, you know what? I may work out a trip to just go visit my wife. The dog and I will hop in the car, because I love road trips. Uh-huh. And go up there, I can drop the dog off at Greenville and make a detour over that weekend to Charlotte for the show. That would be cool. Yeah, you guys will the be there? The 14th, yeah, we'll be there. The 13th. All right. Glad to see, because I know we're going to Vermont to, for one of the grandsons' uh, birthday in early January. But I don't know. This may work out very well. I would love to... Uh, see the Atherin booth, see the show. Yeah, yeah, it should be a lot of fun. Um, it's, it, it, the world's greatest hobby shows are, you know, they're pretty engaging to a lot of different, uh, uh, I'd say, backgrounds and stuff. So they're very diverse, and there's just a lot to see. Sounds good. I'm going to put that on the uh, schedule and see if I can make that happen. All right. Oh, that's great. Well, I think uh, this pretty much flogs this horse to within an inch of his life. Mm-hmm. You've mm-hmm. got to get up and go to work. And I started cooking dinner for my wife. And I went, oh, by the way, I've got to go uh, do a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I bet someone's pretty hungry. <laughs> Stir this every once in a while, dear. Yeah. All right. All right. Hey, Chris, I think it was great. Yeah, I think so, too. All right, buddy. Thanks a lot. All right. Take care. All right. See you later. All right. Bye-bye.